Hi, I'm your host, Dave Kemp, and this is Future Ear Radio. Each episode, we're breaking down one new thing, one cool new finding that's happening in the world of hearables, the world of voice technology. How are these worlds starting to intersect? How are these worlds starting to collide? What cool things are going to come from this intersection of technology? Without further ado, let's get on with the show. All right. So we're joined here today by Carl Thomas. Carl, say a little bit about who you are and what you do. Dave, hi. Thanks for having me on. So my name's Carl. I um, have a background in telecommunications. I um, used to run an ISP, an internet service provider, and had a lot of insight around some of the changes from um, IPv4 to V6, where basically it gave rise to the Internet of Things. Did a lot of work with uh, a telecommunications company in the UK around a number of different applications of the Internet of Things, but that gave rise to Audio Rings, looking at how, as a wearable technology platform, we could really start to provide relevant audio, um, understand um, you know, personalized data, and then start to really marry the two to provide really frictionless, audible experiences for um, edge devices, specifically headphones that were connected and completely independent of smartphones. That's awesome. So tell us a little bit more about Audio Wings, because I know that's, that's your company. So tell, yeah, us a little bit about, tell us a little bit about it. So I guess it started, it, in fact, kind of two influences took place when I started the company. So firstly, I was doing a lot of work with Internet of Things, um, looking at the added utility that we could provide inanimate objects based on them having a network interface. And so that gave rise in my head to thinking about all the different types of devices that could provide much more utility, much more compelling experience should they be connected to the internet. And that was back in about 2020, 2011. But then also I used to wear headphones when going to the gym, specifically Bluetooth headphones. And I used to have them tethered to my smartphone to listen to great music to motivate me specifically from Spotify. And I remember without going into too much painful detail, I was standing in front of a mirror doing some dumbbell curls, looking at myself like the the fool that I was at the time. <laughs> basically, I remember having my smartphone underneath my bench. <laughs> basically, the audio that I was listening to started to fade away slowly. I turned <laughs> when I had stolen my smartphone. So it basically got me thinking once the frustration had subsided that I don't really want a smartphone in this context. What I really want is my favorite music straight in my ears with nothing in the way. So that started me thinking around how we could unbundle the phone from its audio capabilities. And I guess in a long roundabout way that gave rise to where we're at now with audio wings, really trying to provide really relevant audio directly from platforms um, such as the mainstream music providers that is relevant based on the physiological insight that we clean from an end user who obviously uses our headphones. Yeah, it's so interesting that it's like you as this person with a deep understanding of, you know, like the burgeoning world of the Internet of Things and and how exactly one would unbundle the smartphone has <laughs> this life instance where, you know, you get your phone stolen and you're like, all right, how do I actually do this? How do I, yeah. how do I make this work? Um, so, you know, for the audience out there, um, you know, Carl and I, have. Uh, this is actually the first time that we've ever really talked face to face over Zoom. Um, Carl's based in hurts, man. <laughs> yeah, I know. So we, Carl's based in London. And, um, you know, what's cool, though, is it's like, you know, when you're in a niche of a niche, you know, I'm in curables. So being a niche of wearables, you sort of start to familiarize yourself with who's who on social media. And Carl's been active for a few years as of I and I've gotten to know him and just like, I really like his thinking. And so when I got when I decided to do the podcast, I was like, looking at, you know, the list of people that I wanted to bring on. And Carl was, you know, first and foremost for my hearables people that I wanted to bring on because I think he has a really interesting perspective. And, um, 
you know, I think one of the things that I wanted to start out with with this conversation is your relationship with Nick Hun. Uh, Nick Hun being the um, analyst who actually coined the term hearables. Um, he and Carl know each other and Carl's had a good chance to kind of get to know him and his thinking. And um, so I thought we'd maybe start there. Tell us a little bit about like what you've learned from Nick in the time that you've spent with him. Yeah, sure. So to give you a bit of context, when I started my company back in 2012, there wasn't really a wearables market in London. And I say that in the sense that there are a lot of people thinking about wearables, but really there weren't people who were coming together as a community talking about some of the pertinent challenges that wearables in different applications in different markets were, were having to try to get market penetration. So I set up a community of wearable enthusiasts um, called Wearables London, and it was really just a good chance to get engineers, entrepreneurs, investors, um, people that were just infused in wearables and internet of things together to have a chat around their application in specific markets. And our very first event, Nick was our, my very first speaker, talking a bit more about a lot of his research at the time. And this is prior to his seminal paper where he talked about the evolution of hearing aids to become hearables, broadly speaking. But mm -hmm. Nick announced himself as someone who is, um, uh, he announced himself as someone who's done everything with Wi-Fi in terms of incorporating it into snowplows right through to dildos. So from <laughs> it got my attention. But at the same time, um, obviously, based on what I was doing, we were talking a lot around the evolution of headphones and talking a lot about the extra utility it could provide. And he then, at the start of 2014, announced his white paper whereby he looked at, from his perspective, the evolution of hearing aids, especially incorporating some of the Bluetooth stack into them to provide extra utility and experiences. And then what that would look like should they evolve to provide a number of different applications, broadly speaking, in the health sector. So I think that kind of obviously gave us a lot of a common ground to talk about what we've both been thinking about separately. But then from my perspective, that paper only went so far in terms of um, giving us an insight into his thinking. I've been really privileged to have a number of chats with him. And I think the thing that he's been really keen to understand is actually what's this ongoing experience, this extra utility that we can provide on a regular basis over and above the, the physical product. And when you speak to him about different types of hearables that have come to market, you know, over the last kind of five, six years, he's been healthily skeptical about their prospects purely because he sees the potential of hearables as being something whereby they can provide an ongoing um, experience and utility to people to really help solve some of these grand life challenges that we have. Yeah. And, you know, this idea of a platform, right? It's like, as the world becomes more subscription-based, it's like every single mm. day, it seems like the world becomes a little bit more subscription-oriented. This idea of hearables as a platform is a really intriguing idea. And one example yeah. that I'll give for that is the idea of hearing aids, you know, as a subscription. You know, think of it as you as uh, an individual have some type of, you know, if you have a, some type of hearing loss, you have a very unique type of hearing loss. In a way, that in of itself is like a prescription, right? And so your hearing care provider determines your prescription, and then they program you with your, you know, call it your medicine, call it your hearing aid, but it's that, uh, it's that calibrated frequency, um, you know, like the whole way in which the, um, I'm blanking on the word, the um, audiogram, the audiometric mm. configuration of your, of your hearing. Um, yes. And so you think about this as a platform, right? So 
a lot of the hesitancy with buying a hearing aid comes with the sticker shock that's associated with the high price point because it's a it's an upfront payment so rather than Absolutely. that what if you actually unbundle the hearing aid and the device itself costs x amount of money and then you're paying on a monthly basis for your prescription right you're paying for that um, pre-programmed that's catered specifically to you and it changes over time because your hearing loss tends to depreciate over time and yeah. so you have this you have this hearing hearing aid that is more or less a widget but it's um, it is on a subscription basis that you're subscribing to your prescription and like that's just one example of this idea of how these types of in the ear devices, whether it be from a medical application or more of a consumer application, um, you can start to see ways in which you can actually layer subscriptions and such and, and truly make these things platforms. Absolutely. And I think, Nick, that's a very niche and incredibly compelling example of how absolutely a platform could be beneficial within a hearable specific to obviously looking at um, the monitoring and the um, the ability to overcome to an extent hearing loss, and I think when he was looking at hearables being a platform, he obviously foresaw the evolution of hearables to include a number of different sensors, whether they be optical modules, whether they be um, EEG or you know ECG or even EKG. So I think from that perspective, he kind of foresaw the fact that the ear as a physiological playground could give whoever was part of the ecosystem a lot of insight into physiologically what someone was going through at a period of time. But then also because obviously things on our ears are being worn now, um, I think there's average is up to about three hours a day, then that trend can give someone a lot more insight as to someone's emotional state and personality to an extent over a long period of time. So yeah, he absolutely foresaw that. It's interesting. You said two really interesting things there. First of all, you mentioned that we're wearing these devices for longer periods of time. And that is such a uh, astute observation that I think needs to be more widely understood. And I think a lot of that's being ushered in by AirPods, but it should definitely be recognized that really as of 2016, 2017, and now up to modern day, um, each year it's becoming more um, it's becoming more socially acceptable to wear something in your ears for longer periods of time. Absolutely. You know, it's like, and I think even five years ago, this would have been something where it's like, take your headphones out. You know, now it's like, well, I can still communicate with you face to face, even though you have your AirPods in just because that's, that's become socially normalized. And I think actually that predates airports, because if you yeah. look at major influences around headphone consumption and headphone use broadly speaking um you look at the rise in streaming music i mean spotify now has over 100 million paying customers on a monthly basis right but 79 percent of their content is consumed on a mobile device that's consumed by headphones so obviously when people have access to content because it's ubiquitous in nature they're going to consume as much of it as they possibly can also as well you think about the overarching macro reasons as to why people are consuming audio content on the move you look at, and I keep on kind of defaulting back to health as a kind of a mm -hmm. trend, but as a sector, but you have now globally 350 million people who are suffering from some health form of mental health challenge. In the UK alone, there's a 35 billion, um, you know, loss of productivity to UK POC because of mental health. But at the same time, you have millennials who, um, you have about 64% of millennials that use audio as a way to overcome stress, anxiety, and depression. And when I say I'm really talking about music specifically. 
So you look at the function of music as a technology or as a tool to overcome these things. And obviously they're gonna tap into it because of its ubiquity in nature and because of the fact that it's harmless. So mm -hmm. the key influences around our rise in consumption of audio broadly speaking, which can really take you into different rabbit holes broadly speaking. <laughs> Totally. Well, you make a good point there. And it's like that coincides with the, you know, it, it's like people already have the desire to be wearing these things for as long as they can. Yeah. And it's now it's just a matter of like the hardware permits it. So you can do that. So the other really interesting thing that you said there is that the ear is a physiological playground. And that yes. is a really, it's a really good point because the ear is a extremely unique position in the body to gather biometric data. And the reason being is that it straddles sort of the inside of your body and the outside of your body. So a lot of the things that you can gather from the Apple Watch, um, you know, whether it be things because it's making constant contact with your body, you know, you can get your heart rate, you can get your, now you'll be able to soon get your blood, your blood pressure, um, you know, these kinds of things through like the optical sensors. Um, they can also gather, you know, like they would be able to maybe detect things that, that are in your um, actual vicinity, like uh, potentially dangerous um, pathogens in the air or something like that. Now, mm. where those sort of limitations start to arise with the proximity or where you're wearing that on your body is that it's not being worn inside of your body. So an example of why the ear would be more advantageous would be something like your body temperature. So your tympanic membrane radiates your body temperature. And therefore, if you have something that's sitting down and, you know, with a sensor down in your ear canal, you would be able to get that metric from, from the, um, you know, from that type of biometric sensor. And Absolutely. you think about, you know, the way in which it's a lot of cartilage, you know, there's uh, the way that the head moves, you know, the, it's actually a pretty stable part of the body. There's a yeah. lot of really interesting aspects to why the ears are a good place to gather that data. Yeah. And I think also as well, one of the things that again, Nick alluded to, but I think um, Poppy Crumb from who's chief scientist for yep. Dolby talks about in a lot of detail. She talks about the ear being a USB port, basically a biological USB. I love that. Yeah. It's incredible. So when you think about, EEG application, when you think about understanding alpha brainwaves, when you think about understanding stressors, when you think about understanding when you're in a state of relaxation, you can really start to provide so much more utility, so much more compelling content experiences based on understanding your emotional state, which can glean from so many different physiological attributes these days from the ear. And I think, yeah, as you touched upon, that's incredibly compelling. But then also from uh, a clinical perspective, um, there are so many different elements which you can start to using either neural networks or some sort of, some form of either local or cloud-based machine learning, really get a lot of insight around um, your predisposition to kind of clinical conditions based on the attributes you can pick up from the ear. And, you know, as I said, when you're wearing these things for, you know, three, four, up to five hours a day in some instances, that's a lot of insight you can start to glean around someone's health, broadly speaking, just from an earbud, which in essence could be a widget to a much more grandiose service. And, you know, so with that, it's like, I think one of the things that I don't want to say, like, I don't like using the adage, like people are sleeping on it, but the, I think that one of the more uh, maybe less discussed aspects of wearables is what could potentially be this idea of, uh, truly individualized longitudinal data sets. You know, you mm. think about, um, so if I'm going to be recording my heart rate 
with my Apple Watch or if, if I'm going to be wearing a set of hearing aids that have biometric sensors on them that can capture that or if I'm going to be wearing AirPods or any other of the hearables that have these types of sensors embedded in them and they're all becoming embedded with these sensors. Um, yes. You know, you think about, you get that, you know, so as of today, if you're not wearing any kind of wearable, you're going to be charting that metric about once to twice a year whenever you go and you see your physician, right? Like that's the only time of the year that you're actually going to be jotting down or your physician's going to be doing it on your behalf. And what wearables does is it creates those readouts on the minute, you know, on the hour, 365 days a year. And that's like, that is a really profound thing because now we're talking about, you have a clear vision into your all of these different metrics that these things are capturing for for years on on end and and you absolutely really start to get an idea of what your health patterns look like you can see you know clearly in the data you can probably see if you're if you're well versed in that um, and you're you understand what you're looking at you can probably visualize in the data that's when <laughs> I was sick Absolutely. And I think when you look at some of the big macro trends that are taking place in developed countries, um, when you look at the States, for example, you, look, you think about the, um, the stressors or the challenges of the health infrastructure um, that's there. I mean, you have over the last 30 years, hospital beds have declined by 23%. You, so like, I think it's from 1.2 million to now 900,000. You look at the population increasing by 30% in a similar, similar timeframe. So you think naturally, there's going to be obviously a, a disparity in terms of um, how, as an infrastructure, you can start to provide a level of care, which is of the same level of quality for this increased population. But then also you start to think about how um, the top 5% super users of the healthcare infrastructure are really accounting for around half of the dollars spent in providing this, this kind of level of care. And the only real way in which you can start to provide some form of quality of care is actually if you start to look at understanding and diagnosing to an extent and maybe even prescribing some form of clinical care prior to someone actually coming into a hospital prior to someone becoming an inpatient and for mm -hmm. that you need some form of remote monitoring system call it wearables call it telehealth whatever you want to then start to understand that from a physiological perspective before someone actually has to become an inpatient and then go obviously through your care process um the same thing's happening in the uk but yeah wearables really do stand um to provide a real benefit um, in society over and above just monitoring your steps. So I want to pivot a little bit here as we sort of wrap. I want to read a really interesting Twitter thread that you put out. It actually prompted me to write back in June. I wrote two blog posts on this. I wrote, I wrote one piece and then you rebuttaled it a little bit. You're like, that wasn't entirely what I meant. And then it prompted me to rewrite a second well, piece. I apologize. I probably <laughs> no. uh, it was good. I mean, it, it really, it was one of the more thought provoking things I had seen at the time. And it was a really, and to this day, I still think about it. Um, but it's it because it, it, it piggybacks on, what we were just saying, where it's this idea of, you know, biometric data, right? And, and all this health data. And the thing about all this is that when you talk about this, it tends to solicit a knee-jerk reaction of, I'm not sure I feel comfortable with that data being out there, you know? And Absolutely. I can really address this in this thread. Um, and so this thread, it's in reference to the TV show Halt and Catch Fire. In the show, the main character, Joe McMillan, um, one of the key points in the first season is he's, you know, got this great idea and it's sort of at the dawn of the, you know, computer, like right around the dawn of the internet, 
He never explicitly says that this is in reference to the internet. I think it's kind of implied that it could be something else, but he says, yeah. you know, real coolly, he's like, computers aren't the thing. Computers are the thing <laughs> that gives you access to the thing. And, <laughs> and so it's interesting though, because, you know, you basically took that and you ripped off it a little bit and you said, um, here, I'll read this here. You said, uh, I believe the true benefit of wearables over and above the computers in our pockets is their constant physical contact with the body. This is an obvious statement, but bear with me. Um, seismic shifts in human behavior brought about by technology seem to happen when trends collide, i.e. social media platforms coming about due to the WordPress-esque do-it-yourself web builders and the proliferation of high-speed internet access via DSL. I truly feel that we're on the edge of another massive trend, this time involving wearables and blockchain and the incredible crypto-pioneered internet-native business models that are starting to come about. We're already comfortable with getting an Apple Watch subsidized by our insurance, with Fitbits given to new employees to enable productivity. Just like Web 2.0, we are the product here, and our data is the currency. So thinking forward a few years, I can envision a, pro a platform that, pl that values the attention we give to wearables and our hearables through the data we give up but it is underpinned by some form of tokenized ecosystem, enabling us to truly gain value from our attention. I in no way can take credit for this. The writings of Harry McLaverty have really helped me to crystallize my thoughts here. Um, now I appreciate that this is far-fetched, but the first and still best use cases for blockchain uh, is as a digital ledger to record transaction. Due to the ear being, as Nick Hun used to say, a physiological playground and with constant contact to the skin, underpinned by a distributed ledger that tokenizes our attention in a wholly transparent, permissioned, and reversible manner, the concept to use your emotion as a currency is fascinating and the applications are fast. Wow. You're a... I don't know who wrote that, but it didn't sound like my way. <laughs> <laughs> you like, here and read that. <laughs> my, my Twitter thread was actually uh, hijacked that day. That wasn't me. <laughs> But no, do you want to do you want to expand on that a little bit? Because it is a really it's a really intriguing. I mean, it's not every day that you hear somebody in a, you know relate the blockchain to wearables, but they are you know in a lot of ways you you actually if you think about it, the two would make a lot of sense in working in conjunction. Absolutely. So I think there's a number of people that have looked at how um, distributed ledgers and how tokenized ecosystems, broadly speaking, that can actually provide a pathway to self actualization, which is an incredibly grandiose concept. But I think when you start to look at how we are using consumer devices, how we're using consumer applications, we now know as consumers that we are the product. We now know that the value to these applications, these manufacturers to an extent is actually our data. We know that our data is valuable. We know that we're not either um, consciously or actively giving permission to this data. And also we definitely know that we're not part of the revenue share of how that data is monetized. So I think, you know, with stuff like Cambridge Analytica, the scandal that took place here, um, there's a lot more thinking now around, okay, look, how can we start to either step back from these ecosystems, these platforms that just use as a product, um, and also how can we still start to provide value or obtain value, sorry, from our data in a way whereby it benefits us to an extent, either from an insight perspective or even ideally from a financial perspective. So I think when I was thinking about that and obviously we've been thinking about that and trying to conceptualize it for a good couple of years now the thing that i was really concerned by was the fact that if as what's happened now apple have moved into headphones microsoft moved into headphones samsung mm -hmm. 
etc. If all the big four, five manufacturers start moving into a space whereby they can feasibly use headphones as another endpoint to capture physiological data about it, which is inherently individual, then they're going to have incredible amounts of insight around us individually that we probably won't have any share in. So how can we as um, a platform provider start to understand and in a permissioned and also transparent manner start to really bring on board consumers to really start to get value out of their data in a way whereby it improves their experience, A. But then B, if consumers are starting to use headphones, hearables for a much longer period of time to consume content, most notably music, how can we then start to use as um, part of that ecosystem, how can we stand up to start to provide, sorry, to musicians a fair and equitable revenue share for the content we're consuming from their art, you know? So mm-hmm. looking at providing and developing uh, a fair ecosystem that involves consumers, but then also involves all the route to market partners, be it manufacturers, be it distributors, as well as also the content creators, be it musicians, be it even their recording labels, or be it podcast authors, in that sense whereby everyone is fairly um, provided or compensated for the time and the value and the talent they provide into that whole ecosystem. Yeah, I loved when you said that uh, seismic shifts in human behavior brought about by technology seem to happen when trends collide. And, and you're right. I mean, we really are on, it feels as if like as we head into the 2020s, like that we are sort of at this point where we're kind of now, it would seem ready for a lot of these new trends to start to sort of emerge and yeah. collide. And so I, uh, I think you're right. I think, so I was going to say, just to kind of, amplify that slightly i think the internet has been obviously a transformational um planetary shift in terms of how we can start to collaborate communicate etc i don't need to you know make that point obviously but i think it's been beholden to the whims of a business model which is almost it's outgrown in terms of advertising Mm -hmm. so my perspective the real benefits of um tokenization is that it gives a completely different revenue model to internet-first-esque devices and applications. So from my perspective, how can we then start to look at the benefits of this and the value we can provide to people who are already consuming great content, happy to give up their data to provide that extra utility, and also people that are really providing that content, that art, to bring us into the secret system in a way whereby we're providing our attention and we're, we're trying to obviously extract value from that. And I think, yeah, the tokenization of physiology gives me a lot of um, joy around trying to develop something which can then fairly provide value to all actors in this ecosystem. Hearables aren't the thing. Hearables are the thing (laughs) that gives you access to the thing. (laughs) (laughs) Joe himself be proud. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, awesome, Carl. That was awesome. I really appreciated this conversation. Thanks so much for coming on. And thanks for everybody that tuned in here to the end. We will chat with you next time. Cheers. Thank you, Dave. Thanks for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Future Ear Radio. For more content like this, just head over to futureear.co where you can read all the articles that I've been writing these past few years on the worlds of voice technology and hearables and how the two are beginning to intersect. Thanks for tuning in and I'll chat with you next time.